0: So we pick up um, in our walkthrough of Exodus. We've been following the story of the nation of Israel and of Moses, the one that God has called to lead his people out of oppression and of slavery. Moses asked Pharaoh 10 times to let God's people go. Each time the response is a version of no or yes, but after which God sends a plague. He sends 10 plagues after which there is an opportunity to change. God graciously gives many opportunities to Pharaoh and to Egypt to repent and to obey. And a lot of this account is really hard reading. I, I find it hard, certainly, especially that final plague. I find that there's a tension between a good God and an outpouring of wrath. And it seems hard to reconcile, but I must remind myself of the context. God's people are being oppressed. They are in slavery and there is mass infanticide going on. The Israelites' baby boys are being cast into the river. Pharaoh goes on to make their work even harder after Moses asks them to let his people go. Pharaoh makes his decisions, continually hardening his heart, and God shows them once and for all who God is. Finally, Pharaoh relents. It's time to go. Before this, we see this amazing prophetic picture of Jesus through the Passover, a lamb that was slain, so that the angel of death would pass over, where the blood of, um, in, of the innocent diverts righteous judgment, and the Israelites are told to leave. They ask their neighbors for silver and gold, to give to them abundantly. And once again, we see God provides for his chosen people. The Israelites and their livestock leave Egypt. Pharaoh changes his mind. He sets out in pursuit, and God defeats Pharaoh and his armies. And this reminds us of the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, where Pharaoh, in the likeness of evil in the image of a snake, is crushed, reminding us of God's commitment to save his people. Moses raises his staff, the waters part, they walk through on dry land, and God leads them into the desert. Three days, no water. They come to Marah and they find bitter water, which is not good to drink. Moses cries out to the Lord, who makes the water drinkable. The Lord tells them to pay attention to all that he says and all of his commands and decrees. And Moses models to the Israelites what to do in times of trouble in the same way he models this to us, cry out to the Lord. God makes a way and he provides for them. They move on to Elim, which is effectively an oasis. And compared to the desert, this would have looked like the promised land. But it's not all that God had for them. So they must move on and they continue on their journey towards the promised land. So we pick up today in Exodus 16 and 17 and there are loads of verses here and I will read bits and pieces for them uh, for us but if you've been tracking with them in our reading plan you will have covered them in the week in the build up to this and I would recommend you read them at some point through and think about them in these terms. So where are we going to say we're looking at the Lord who provides, the Lord who tests and Sabbath, God's gift to mankind. So we see throughout this passage uh, a God who provides and a, who provides abundantly. God provides his people with exactly what he needs and more in his timing. So picking up in uh, 16 verse 2, In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we were sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of the desert to starve this um, assembly to death. Then the Lord said to them, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The the people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. So God has brought them out into the desert and they begin to grumble. They complain about Moses and Aaron and their complaints are astonishing. They wish that they would have died in Egypt They've endured slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, oppression, infanticide, and they've been set free by a gracious God. But they wish they were still in Egypt, sat around pots of meat. Are we like the Israelites or are we like Moses? Moses at Mara cried out to God. Um, the Israelites grumbled and blamed Moses. Do we cry out to God in moments of challenging? Are we... Inviting, uh, we asking him for the things that um, we need. You have a wonderful opportunity of inviting God into your wins and into your losses, into your excitements and into your challenges, because God wants a relationship with us, and a big part of that relationship is trust. So, looking at verse um, six to eight, so Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, "In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt." and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. I mean, how gracious is God Moses reminds us about who they were grumbling about. And it wasn't Moses and Aaron, but it was God. They were just the conduit for their dissatisfaction. And I'm reminded that the God of the Old Testament is the same as the God of the New Testament. And we see grace and mercy and love and kindness all throughout. And I find myself in awe of a gracious and compassionate God and immediately reminded of the words that God would go on to say to Moses in Exodus um, 34, verse 6 and 7. The Lord passes in front of Moses and proclaims, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I mean, just the fact that he put up with all of it and was so kind in that moment, it, it yeah really um, moves me and stirs me. So moving on to verses 13 to 18, still in chapter 16. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer each, um, Sorry, take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they um, measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have um, too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. God provides for the Israelites and he does so abundantly. Why? So that they would know that it was the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. God wanted to raise their levels of trust and he was showing them that He is a faithful God who provides for his people, who provides more than enough for each person. Not only does he give them bread to eat, but he also gave them meat, the very thing that they were complaining about not having. God provided exactly what each needed. God looks on at their situation and provides for them Again, exactly what they needed. Deuteronomy 8 touches on the events of this chapter and some of the Israelites' time in the wilderness. It's Moses' sort of second telling to the next generation. In verse 4, it says this, your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. God provided for them in terms of food and water and the miracle that their clothes and shoes did not wear out and their feet did not swell up for the 40 years while they were in the desert. God is a God who provides abundantly exactly what they need. And what grace for your feet not to swell up when it's really hot all the time. So God continues to provide for them, but he also tests them. And this is something we'll look at in more detail in a moment. So picking up in uh, verse 17, verses one to seven, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. Then the Lord answered Moses go in front of the people take some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the, the staff with which you struck the Nile and go i will i will stand there before you at the rock of horeb strike the rock and water will um, come out for the people to drink so Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the uh, and he called the place massah and meribah because the israelites quarreled and because they uh, tested the Lord saying is the lord not Um, is the Lord amongst us or not? So God moves them on, um, they camp at Rephidim and once again, no water. And we see the same pattern, despite God having provided for them once, despite God having provided for them with food and in addition to the small event of 10 plagues and getting them out of Egypt and setting them free from oppression and slavery, they still haven't quite got it. And Moses' response is so instructive, it's so helpful. Why do you put the Lord to the test? Once again, Moses cries out to God and God in his grace provides. Moses strikes the rock as instructed. He's faithful to what God has told him to do. He's obedient and the water comes out and it's an amazing uh, moment. God continuing to do the impossible to provide for his people, God hasn't changed. So if he will look on his people then and, and provide exactly what they need, he will do the same for his people now. God looks on at your situation and he will provide exactly what you need. And life is particularly tough at the moment, wherever you are. So what are you lacking? Does it feel impossible? Do you trust God? I know it can be hard to trust that God would provide for you and will provide, especially when it seems like there's not enough there. Does God know the intricate details of your situation? Of course he does. He's God. Have you told him about them? Have you cried out to God? Or are you grumbling? Do you trust him to provide? He will. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. And we've seen him do the impossible countless times throughout this journey in Exodus. And he is no different then than he is now. He will do the impossible again. Does your situation feel impossible? You can trust God. He can do it. So God t- tests his people Why? Uh, Rick Warren, uh, an American pastor, sums this up uh, wonderfully with this quote where he says, God is more interested in your character than your comfort. He is more interested in making your life holy than he is making your life happy. It is important that when we speak about a God who provides that we keep this in mind. He may not give us everything that we want. Why? Because he's more interested in our character than our comfort. In verses uh, four and five of uh, chapter 16, they are to collect enough bread for that day, not to hoard any because God will provide for tomorrow um, and he will do it on, on the next day. Except for that sixth day where they were to collect double, which would be their Friday, um, and they were to keep it till Saturday, which was their Sabbath, and it would keep. And Moses delivers this message to the Israelites and what happens God does exactly what he says he would, he provides, and the Israelites fail. A constant pattern we see throughout these verses where they haven't quite grasped who God is and his character. Some of them keep it till morning, they find that it is full of maggots It is as a, and smelling, and it is as if death itself has visited, and I find myself challenged in this. When I trust God and do what he has asked me to do, I met with life and wholeness. When I don't, I met with death, where my choices away from God do not lead to life, and they never will. So Friday rolls around, and the people go out and collect enough for the two days God has commanded them to. And once again, a test is placed before them. Will they trust God to provide for them each day. So looking at uh, verses 21 to 13, chapter 16, each morning, Everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and gave this report to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a uh, day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save uh, whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning. As Moses commanded, it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, um, there will not be uh, any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it. They found none. But Moses said to the Lord, sorry, then the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Manna or bread from heaven uh, that formed with the dew and melts as the sun grows hot. God's wonderful provision. And not only um, does he provide exactly what they need, but he's gracious in the way he does it. He's just liberated a people out of slavery where they would have worked seven days in the heat of the day with no consideration for their uh, welfare. And he provides them a window to collect their food in the cool of the day. It's just so opposite to what they will have um, expected. But but some of those Israelites, they still don't get it. They, They go out to collect on the Sabbath, even though they have enough for that day because they've collected twice as much the day before. In both of these instances, the the hoarding uh, that we just talked about and the collecting on the Sabbath, the people involved have not grasped who God is or his nature or his character. They do not trust God to continue to do the amazing things that he has done for them already. And I think we can try and rationalize this. And on reading this, I was immediately reminded that they've been in slavery for 430 years, working seven days straight. And that must come with some deep pain and trauma that you're working through. But God's response is really instructive. How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? So what do we think of his response? Is it just and fair or does it seem a bit harsh? No, God is patient in his response. He's given the Israelites countless signs of his faithfulness. Ten plagues, destroying their enemy, taking them out of um, uh, Egypt. And he has also provided for them in in these passages alone and shown his faithfulness through bread and meat, through clothes not wearing out. But also in verse 10, we see that his glory appears as if a cloud, a sign that the Lord is with them and leading them. So what is the point of all this testing? Um, in verse 4 and verse 12, we get some, uh, some examples of this where uh, the Lord says, I will test them and see whether they follow my instruction. And in verse 12, it says, uh, when, uh, Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. It was to remind them who uh, their God was. It was to help them grow in trust for God. Ultimately, bread from heaven was not simply to, si- uh, to signify or to be the satisfaction of their physical needs, but also to remind them their whole lives were to be changed and uh, governed by God, to be sustained by him and governed by his word. This process was meant to change them and meant to humble them. It was meant to refine their character. Moses says this in Deuteronomy 8 verse 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what's the focus? It's trusting God, it's being obedient to the things he has asked us to do. Does God test us today? I believe he does. I think he allows us to face hardship and trouble trouble, so that we grow in our character and we grow in our holiness. Does he leave us or abandon us in these times? No, he walks with us through them. He has said he will never leave us or forsake us. God deeply cares about our holiness and our ongoing sanctification more than he cares about our comfort. He's not a hard taskmaster though. He will provide for us. But he wants us to mature in our faith and in our trust um, of him. He wants us to get to that point of total dependency whereby we live uh, live by every single word that comes from his mouth. Does this mean we just tough it through our challenges? No, we are invited to share these with God, who wants relationship with each one of us. And we have access to this relationship through Jesus' death, uh, resurrection, and his life. God cares about His people, and the way we become part of His people is giving our lives to Jesus. God meets us exactly where we are, but He does not does not leave us where we are. So God extends this uh, testing to Sabbath. Uh, and learning to trust God by resting so God gives the Israelite Sabbath a holy day a a day set apart a day for worship and for rest and it's not a new idea if we go back to uh, Genesis 1 and 2 after God completes creation and reaches its pinnacle mankind man created in the image of God to reflect the glory of God on the earth so what did man's first day of existence hold God gives this command in Genesis 1 twenty eight. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God gives this grand command to mankind. He sets out his vision for humanity. And yet what is the first thing he does? Genesis two, verses two to three say this. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all of his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on uh, it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. God rests. He invites mankind into his rest, first day of their existence, in perfect relationship with God. That's where they start because he's committed to relationship with us. He creates Sabbath as a gift for us. He invites us to stop for a day, to cease from working, to stop striving to look to God and say, I trust you. Where we say, "Um, you're God, that you're good, and that you don't stop when I do." The Lord commanded, "Um, that the uh, that the Sabbath day was to be a day of rest and holy to God." The Israelites were told to collect double. Um, they were to rest, um, after that. This looks like meaningfully connecting with God, this this chance in a day not only to catch up physically but to reconnect um, spiritually. It's to cease from working, to do things that are restful and by working I don't necessarily mean paid employment, this could be homework or or housework, it's things that aren't restful or worship or uh, life-giving. And Sabbath was a core practice of Jesus's life. He said um, this about the Sabbath in Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Jesus saw the Sabbath as a precious gift. So is the Sabbath for us today or is it just an old practice for the Israelites? And I believe this is a practice for us. Jesus fulfilled the law with his life. He has done it. Um, we don't have to. That is, that is grace. He's, he's covered it all. However, we don't go throwing out the other nine of the Ten Commandments. Just because Jesus has fulfilled the law, we're not running around murdering people. It sort of misses the point. So as much as we live under grace, and this might not be mandated, there's an immense amount of wisdom in Sabbath rest, especially in our busy 21st century context. This might feel impossible and I would hope that a brief story of my own journey with Sabbath uh, will be an encouragement for you. I would have always said that I never knew how to rest, that stopping wasn't part of my personality, that I didn't know what to do with myself even for a few hours. And God in his grace started me on a journey which has changed my life and by no means am I a master at this. I think it's something I'll spend the rest of my life working on. But I came to the point where I was going at a million miles an hour having uh, that sort of personality. And I was finding I was more tired on a Monday morning than on a Friday evening after finishing work. I clearly wasn't using my weekend to refresh and recharge for what came ahead. And so came to this realization I need to slow down and incorporate rhythms of Sabbath rest into my life. And this was November 2019. So I examined my calendar, started adding periods of sort of Sabbath rest on on a, on a Sunday or even over the weekend. And it started just as a few hours and I didn't quite get. Uh, grasp this this idea of stopping. I like to achieve things. I like ticking things off my list. I find it hard to stop, especially when I'm not achieving something that day. It feels like it felt like a waste. So what I found the way I would do it would I would leave a few very easy jobs that would take you know a few minutes to tick off and not be overly strenuous, and then once I did that, I felt that I could rest, and that was the start. I started where I was, not where I should be, and built up, but. COVID rolls around about four months later and I found that I had to um, uh, come to a stop and meaningfully refine this. And I'm glad that that continued. And so it looked like becoming a whole day and preparing for it and and getting there. Um, It became, it has become for me the best day of the week. A day where I meaningfully connect with God, where I meaningfully connect with my wife, Esther, where I do things that give me life and rest, where I get to enjoy some of the good things that God has created for us to enjoy. I get to cease to not achieve and to trust God in all that he has got. In Matthew 11 verses 28 to 30, Jesus says this, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So are you weary and tired? Are you heavy laden? Jesus is inviting us to stop striving. Jesus invites us into his rest, and part of that rest is this gift of Sabbath. Will you trust him and take him up on this? So throughout these chapters, we're met with a faithful God who um, does exactly what he says He will. He is faithful to His word, and he will not stray from it. He provides abundantly for his people because he deeply cares about them. He loves them. He also tests his people because he loves them. He cares um, more about their character and making their lives holy than he cares about their comfort or material blessing. He asks them to trust him as he is the God who rescues and saves. And he is asking us to trust him today. He's asking us if we will put our faith in his character and let him shape us and mold us. Do we rejoice in testing? knowing that God is refining us and preparing us for more. It's a really hard place to be, especially when life's really um, tough. But it's key for our faith, um, for maturing in our faith in God. He gives them the gift of Sabbath. He offers them rest after years of slavery. This is God's gift to all of mankind, not just the Israelites. And in in the busyness of our context, he asks us if we trust him asking us to trust that he is the God that does not slumber and that does not grow weary. God is challenging us to grow in our um, trust for him. And current life circumstances, economic climates will make this really hard. There's no doubt about that. But in closing, I want to leave you with some trustworthy uh, words from Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34, which say this, "'Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink.'" And your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We can trust God to look after us. My question for us today is will you?